millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How can today's book lover decide what to read? With a vast array of choices, what to choose? Professor Jim Flynn is a world-renowned expert on intelligence and IQ and believes that reading gives you a deeper understanding of the world. He scoured the globe looking for the pearls by today's authors. You'll be surprised, delighted, you'll be outraged. But that's the magic of a book list. I'm Wallace Chapman, and in this 10-part series, I go in search of the best modern authors with Jim Flynn. Welcome to the new Torchlight List. This episode, Ireland's contribution to literature is quite extraordinary. So this is going to be a hard chapter to pick. You've got Yeats, James Joyce, George Bernard Shaw, Oscar Wilde, Samuel Beckett, Kate O'Brien, Seamus Haney. Jim, why does Ireland have such a strong tradition in writing? I don't know. I mean, in America, Irish immigrants, compared to other Grimmins, immigrants had a command of English, you know, the Italians spoke Italian. But this doesn't explain why they flowered so much. That is, their avenue of upward social mobility was always yammering. The first generation became entertainers, singers, politicians. The next generation became school teachers, then university professors and writers. Uh, I cannot understand exactly why. It's just so rich. Yes. Uh, my wife is convinced that there's something about the Irish idioms transported into English that gives them an advantage in terms of style. But I don't think it can be just that. I, I was ignorant of modern Irish literature when I started reading this book. And I thought, well, they had a great tradition. You probably have heard the old saw that in the English language, Yeats was the greatest poet, that Joyce was the greatest novelist, mm. and that Shaw was the greatest playwright. But they were just three of about 14 wonderful authors. Well, my question to you then, uh, does it still stack up, does Irish work still stack up post-20th century? Yes, it does. I found seven writers who I thought were very good. Not all as good as Ishigura, of course, <laughs> but uh, they were all you good. You love Ishigura. Yeah, they, yeah, but some of them were pretty close. I, I mean, I thought that John Banville, for example, and Sebastian Barry, both of them rival Ishigura. Ishigura's style is poetic. Their style captures you gradually like a gentle stream. That is, it's not <laughs> so much wow you every sentence, but well, sentences put together wow you. John Banville is a very famous writer. Now, people will know of his 2005 work, The Sea, and you write every character from major to minor is authentic, uh, even when summed up in a few words. The colonel is outstanding, but so are the narrator's mother and sister. Uh, it's a very good book. Oh, it's the style is just wonderful. When I read The Sea, I thought this is a truly great novelist. You know, this is someone where the, the development of this man's reminiscences, his memories of his family, his casual interactions with people on the street, they're all just caught perfectly. I haven't read 
the, the Untouchables. Book, no, 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 I'm talking about this a movie called Brooklyn. Features uh, Eilis Lacey, a young woman who in the 50s emigrates to America from her small town in Ireland simply because there's no work. It's been made into a movie, I think, just last year, the novel by, how do you pronounce that, Tom Tobin? Well, I always say Tobin. All right. But I've never heard an Irishman pronounce it. I mean, I learned a little Gaelic when I was a kid, but I probably I'm off completely. But I can't. someone will correct us. But many Irish writers refer to Gold Tobin as the best of their generation. What do you think? I think that he proved an inspiration to young Irish authors, but I think several of them went beyond him and may not realize it. I think Torbin can write. There's no doubt about it. And Brooklyn is his best. It's about an Irish lass who can't find work at home and goes to America mm. and finds a lover. And it's wonderful, too, because of the role of the priest. When she comes over, he finds her a room. He pays fees so she can upgrade her skill at night school. He gives her a, a look into society. And, uh, of course, there's one very funny part of Brooklyn, and that is she can't understand why, when she has difficulty, she can't go just to the local priest to resolve it all. <laughs> he doesn't have quite the influence he would have had over her employers that the priest did in Ireland. So I thought the priest was beautifully drawn, and I thought the tension in her life was well drawn. You remember she goes back and almost gets involved in a new love affair in Ireland, and, of course, the communication between Boston and Ireland is so close, she realizes that she's on thin ice, that the lover may in America may find out about it and go zipping back again. Uh, I thought that was Tobin's best novel. All of his novels are well written, but they don't seem to me thematically to hang together like the novels of some of his disciples. Right. Another modern Irish work, 2006. Again, modern Irish voices, The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. What do you reckon? I didn't think that that novel was as good. John Boyne. Yeah, as some of the others that Boyne has written. I think that Boyne's history of loneliness. I don't think Boyne is stylistically quite up to Banville and Barry. But he has a wonderful choice of dialogue. Well, millions disagree with you about that book. The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, it sold millions. It, to me, was a sentimental book. Uh, what I found annoying in it was the baby talk. You know, Ostwitch's other witch, and, uh, you know, Hitler's Hiller. And I, I thought also, yes, it, it's a wonderful thing that he makes this contact with the boy in the striped pajamas. Uh, I felt there was a little too much automatic tear-jerking in it. And that the, the language, I know he's trying to suit it to the boys in question, but I found it jarring. But I will say this, his book, A History of Loneliness, which is about how the Irish clergy disgraced themselves in Ireland. Remember, always only a few, but enough to discredit the church. The use of dialogue is wonderful. He contrasts the status of the clergy before the scandal and after. And before the scandal, when he's a young priest, he gets on a train. And no one can do enough for him. A highly pregnant woman wants to give him her seat and a tottering old man. He says, of course not. And then she removes the little boy from the seat, her, her little boy, and the little boy glares at him. And then she says, do you want one of his crisps? And the little boy says, no, mine, and looks at him with murderous hatred. 
And uh, the, the dialogue is just terrific. And then later on, after the disgrace, he can't go on to Dublin in clerical garb without being jostled on the street mm. and people shouting <laughs> epithets at him. Now, tell me about Edna O'Brien. Little Anthony was the little boy. Little Anthony. Now, tell me about Edna O'Brien. The Country Girls, which was uh, written in 1960, was banned in Ireland. And uh, you're right, at the request of O'Brien's parish priest, copies were actually burned uh, (laughs) in the church grounds after the saying of the rosary. Why was the Country Girls so controversial? Because it treated sex more frankly than the church liked. But, you know, there was even a critic who disgraced himself by saying the book was about two nymphomaniacs. That's not true at all. The Country Girls has some good descriptive passages in it, but the business of the sex, you know, one has a crush on an older man. There are no great sex scenes. And the other one is a girl who goes to the big city and does experiment a bit sexually. But today it's incredibly tame stuff. But right. some of the uh, writing in it is very good. I particularly like the school they were in, where some of the school girls at their schools thought that the nuns slept in coffins. They couldn't get into the wing where the nuns were, and they thought they slept in coffins. And there was another one who was agonizing that her mother was probably in purgatory, having her sins burnt away, because once during her life she was given too much change and didn't call it to the shopkeeper's attention. And you get a wonderful impression of what Catholicism meant to these girls. I, I must read it. Speaking of, just as a side note, what do you what do you think of sex scenes in novels? If do, they, do you struggle with them? If they serve them? a purpose, that's fine. Indeed, I was interested in one novel that had a long series of gay sex scenes. Oh. And I I did wasn't put off from them, but not being gay, I found them a bit boring. You know, it would be sort of as if. Uh, but it's not about you, it's about them. No, it's about them, but they went on at a long length, you oh, know, right. they're three, and they were repeated throughout the book. And I thought, just as I would think that uh, a book about heterosexuals didn't really need repeated explicit sex scenes over and over and over again, but no, I don't think there's anything the matter if the sex scene has a purpose. Very hard to write, I could imagine. It is, now, yeah. Uh, one of the great war books, so you say, uh, a long way from 2005. Uh, And in fact, you think uh, it's up there with uh, All Quiet on the Western Front and Birdsong. Uh, Tell us about this book here. Well, Sebastian Berry wrote that, and I think that he is the only one who matches Banville in style. His style is just wonderful, and it again joins the World War I literature as a great novel. But it, of course, has an extra part in it. Willie Dunn goes off to fight with the British on the Western Front, and he thinks Britain, which of course was undoubtedly false, has promised Ireland independence when the war is over. So his motives are patriotic. And then, of course, while he's on the Western Front, there's the Easter Rebellion. And, of course, now anyone who wears the British uniform is hated because Ireland has decided it's going to have independence and British soldiers are killing Irishmen. And he's in this terrible dilemma because the great sufferings have bonded him to his comrades. And is he to say that all this was a mistake? And does he deserve to be hated for wearing a British uniform? So there's this drama in the Mm -hmm. book. But the scenes of the war, for example, the priest who goes around and sometimes he's baptizing heads without a body, and sometimes he's baptizing a body without a head, and sometimes he's baptizing fragments, and there's the young boy who says the rosary as he dies. 
Uh, it's just pure poetry. I wish I could convey the style. Uh, the style of that novel Boy, is quite it. unbelievable. A long way, 2005. That's uh, right. Sebastian Barry. And does, his, does Sebastian uh, Barry's other work hold up? He's born in 1955. Yes, he, he wrote a series of wonderful novels about the Dunn family. I mean, this is about the boy. But he wrote a novel about a father. He wrote a novel about a brother. He wrote a novel about a sister. And all of these show this impeccable style. I mean, they may not be as dramatic, of course, as a long, long way, uh, but all of them show a stylistic excellence that's quite extraordinary. Just touching on uh, a very brief one, I'm intrigued because this is a very short novel, only 81 pages, and it was written in 1982. We're talking about Ireland, this podcast, and it's called The Newton Letter, and you give it a couple of stars. Uh, a historian lives in a cottage. He's supposed to write a book about Newton, but becomes obsessed with his subject's nervous breakdown in 1693. Uh, it sounds great. Is it worth a read? It's worth reading. It's not up with the very best that Banville has written. He's written trilogies. One trilogy was on Copernicus, one was on Galileo, and one is on the Newton letter. And by the way, if you want to find out, uh, you know, what medieval things were like, it's wonderful to read, to see just the terrible conditions that existed at that time. This isn't an example of it. This is an example from another novel. But, for example, if uh, a servant ran away, it was not uncommon to take him to a central place with a post and nail his ear to the post and give him a knife. And he could only free himself by cutting his ear off. And, uh, you know, the, the descriptions in this trilogy of the times are really quite moving. The Newton letter, I thought, was psychologically interesting. He's convinced that Newton had a breakdown because he realized that his discoveries in physics could not really inspire him as his belief in Christianity, and that he had expected somehow to derive from physics a sort of uh, soulmate mm. to his Christian doctrine. Well, it's only 81 pages. It's a good read. I might read that uh, this week. Uh, now, next podcast, The Books of Europe, including someone the New Yorker, Jim, calls the titan of today's literature, Karl Nausgaard. Is he a titan, Jim? No, he's not. He's terrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The new Torchlight List with Professor Jim Flynn scouring the globe looking for the pearls by today's authors with me, Wallace Chapman. The new Torchlight List was produced by Christine Sesford and recorded by Jeremy Veal. And if you enjoyed it, please write us a review or rate us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out and subscribe to any of the other great RNZ podcasts. There are plenty to choose from. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.